You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Tonight, we begin a series. We begin a series that I believe could change the trajectory of our lives and our church in many ways. This series will... Uh, be coming from a few resources, including a series of messages preached by Bishop Anthony Mangan, as well as some resources by Pastor Robert Morris. And our series for the next several weeks in Growth University will be called Give to Give. Give to Give. I want you to look in your Bibles, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, Verse 16, you could probably quote it, but we'll read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 14. Deuteronomy 15, verse 14. You shall supply him liberally from your flock. From your threshing floor and from your winepress, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall give to him. In Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8, as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received Freely give. We can make it through a lot of things in our lives, and we've been through a lot of things probably that you could identify with. But I tell you tonight that as much as I could probably make it through some things in my life, I don't want to make it through without God. I don't want to go through life making it without God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 3 says, he told Moses, God told Moses, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And it would be later on, a few passages later, where God and Moses are talking, and Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, Do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses appealed to God and said, God, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. I don't want to walk into any so-called promise without you being there. God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And sorry, I'm going to have some bad English tonight. I don't want to live without God. I don't want to pastor this church without God. I think it's possible to do things that are so-called religious and you can do them without God. I, I don't even want to come to church without somehow knowing that God is connecting to us. 
I don't want to do anything without God. And I'm thankful to look back on the history of my life, and I can see the hand of God in my life. Can you see the hand of God in your life when you look back on it? Can you see where maybe God has led you or God's positioned you or God has kept you? Maybe where God has allowed you to walk on your own in stubbornness, but he was long-suffering and he never left you and he never forsook you. Can you look back and see where maybe God protected you in a moment or God was with you? I'm thankful for knowing that God has had a hand and God has been in my life all along the way. And I don't plan to keep going in life without God being present in my life. I'm thankful to look back on the history of this church and see the hand of God. I can look at the people in this room and I see the hand of God. We were once not a people, as First Peter told us, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I can look at the story of this church and I'm well acquainted with it, having uh, married Kristen Pasley, who has a, a, a real legacy in this church when it comes to her grandparents starting the church and certainly her father and mother pastoring this church. So I'm acquainted with some stories in this church and I can look back and I can see adversity. I can see accusations and obstacles and sin and hatred and perversion and lies and selfishness and tragedy. I know the stories of this church, but I see the hand of God that has led and has kept. And we see the power of God to this present day in every step of the way. I'm thankful for God's hand in our lives and in this church because the Calvary Church is a great church. I thank God for what God has given us collectively as a body of believers. I thank God for the resources of this church. I thank God for the property that we sit on today. Maybe even a little bit more since this last week and having a dear pastor friend lose his property and his building in a matter of days. I'm thankful for this property. I'm thankful for this side of the street and that side of the street. I'm thankful for the buildings that sit and the square footage of, of property and the rooms that are in the property. I'm thankful for the vehicles we have parked outside. I'm thankful for the equipment that we have in this building and the technology that's represented because I understand tonight that that did not come out of thin air. But people sacrificed and people gave so that we can experience what we experience and we can do the work of God the way God's called us to do the work of God. In this past year, we saw, and we mentioned this in our missions uh, weekend in, in December, but over a one-year period, I watched as God called us and moved on us as a congregation to give over $430,000 in, in 12 months $430,000 to start a, a, a church in Oxford, to buy a piece of property in Oxford. In one service, over $250,000 was given. The Calvary Church is an amazing church, and our missions giving is a hallmark 
of our church, our giving towards the Promise Project, which we're going to talk about in, uh, some, uh, in a month or so. We'll talk about the Promise Project, which is a, uh, makes it possible for us to operate and improve the, the property and the campus here in Springdale. Calvary Church is a church that's passionate about the promises of God. And I thank you for, on Sunday, just in a quick appeal, we took in over $2,000 to send to the Ukraine. I thank you for that heart of generosity that flows consistently from the Calvary Church. We're blessed not only with resources, but with people who are committed to the things of God. I thank God for our pastoral team, the people who serve to shepherd the flock of God here at the Calvary Church. I'm thankful for the faithful ministry team leaders that make it possible for when we walk into a service and we come in to this environment that there are ministries happening all across this campus. I'm thankful for our dedicated life group leaders who are leading outside of this building. I'm thankful for our pastoral prayer partners who are praying with our pastoral team on different things that are going on in the church. I'm thankful for our elders and those who sit among us who have sacrificed and given to see us have what we have. And certainly I, I look at it and I see Brother Huey Prophet, Prophet a, a, a pillar among us, a, a charter member who has sacrificed to see us be able to have a church the way that we have church. I'm thankful though too for our young families and those families who are coming and raising their children at the Calvary Church. I'm thankful that tonight in Oxano there's a group of young people that are in that room that are dedicated to the things of God. They sit on these first few pews and they worship God with everything that they have. I'm thankful for that kind of church. I'm thankful for children who are hungry for the things of God tonight and they're learning the word of God in kids land. I'm thankful for our investment as a church in Serve City, those who are homeless in Hamilton, those who are in need in Springdale through our soul ministry. I'm thankful for Celebrate Recovery where we are reaching to those who are dealing with hangups and habits in their life. I'm thankful that we have Thanksgiving Project and Angel Wishes. I'm glad that we're partnered with Edge Teen Center and Lakota and Hope's Closet and, and Springdale Offering Support. I'm thankful for this church. We're not a church that's just a consuming church, but we're a church that's a giving church. You give, you serve, you love, and this is an amazing church. And I pray that the Calvary Church doesn't let up in our pursuit to be a great church, to be the best church that God has called us to be. And I can tell you that the Calvary Church and our vision and our passion and what we believe God's calling us to is going to be accomplished because everyone is doing what they can to accomplish God's work. And that's why I am passionate. We cannot have cliques at the Calvary Church. We can't have racism at the Calvary Church. We can't have prejudice and classism at the Calvary Church. We can't allow it in the culture of our church. We have to push against predisposed thinking and love everyone we find and everyone we meet because everyone has something to contribute to what God is doing. Amen. Amen. If you believe that, clap your hands to the Lord. Amen. 
First Chronicles chapter 21, David creates his, some believe, and I think it could be his greatest failure. Think of David's greatest failure, you might think of his adultery or the killing of Bathsheba's husband, which is tragic and it's difficult and no justification for it. But in First Chronicles chapter 21, King David decides to do something. He numbers the people. And it would seem maybe like it wasn't a big deal, but here's what David in essence was doing in my opinion. He was finding strength in his resources. He went and had the military numbered to see how strong the military was across Israel. And so the Bible says that God was angered at him. So much so that God gives him three choices for how he would punish David. And we won't go through that whole story. But when David realizes what he has done and he realizes how much he has disappointed God, David said to the prophet and the one who was the intermediary, intermediary between him and God, Gad. And David says to Gad in 1 Chronicles 21, 13, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. That one decision cost the lives of 70,000 people. And David sees what's happening, and David is troubled, of course. And we see this over and over in David's life. Yes, he's a man of mistakes, but he's a man who is humble and is willing to ask God for help and forgiveness. And in First Corinthians or First Chronicles chapter twenty-one, verse fifteen, God sent an angel to to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, "It is enough. Now restrain your hand." And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. And, God, and David said to God, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. In other words, God said, I want you to give. If you will give and build an offering, then I will stop the plague. And so David makes his way to the threshing floor. And David, it says in verse 19, went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. And so Ornan, that Jebusite was there and he saw the angel. And the Bible says he had four sons that were with him and the four sons hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing weed and we don't have time to talk about that. But that's an amazing thing that Ornan was 
willing to stand there and be there with the angel, but I believe it's because Ornan had a relationship with God. He wasn't fearing that fact. In fact, I think he probably thought that that's what should be happening, that the angel should be standing there. So the Bible says that David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor, and he bowed before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord, and you shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. David goes, and he wants to build an altar in this threshing floor and on this spot that the Lord told him. But he wasn't asking Ornan to give it to him. In fact, he was saying, I'm going to pay a full price for this uh, opportunity to build this altar. So Ornan said to David, take it to yourself and let my Lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I will also give you oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Ornan was just glad that David was there and he said, listen, I want to be a part of this offering. I want to give you this place and I want to give you the sacrifice. But the, then King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. Isn't that interesting that David said, if this is really going to be an offering, then it's going to cost me something. I'm not just going to build something as worship to God that costs me nothing. It's not just going to be some cheap little thing that I grab that's real convenient and then I'll call it worship. I'll call it an offering. No, he said, it's going to cost me something. It has to cost me something for it to be worship. And so the Bible says that he did that. He paid him 600 shekels and he built there an offering. And here is the lesson that we must learn. The greatest and most powerful king says, you can't give it to me. It's an offering. And if you want to get something out of it, he said, if I'm going to get something out of it, I've got to, it's got to cost me something. And certainly the true heart of giving is that it will cost us something. Our giving should be from a heart of generosity, a heart of love, a heart of something that says, this is coming out of me. This is coming from me, not just something that I'm taking or something that I'm getting from somebody else per se, but it cost me something. Tonight, this lesson may seem that I'm talking about money because that is what we are programmed to think when you hear the word give. We think of money. But tonight I'm talking about giving, not just money. A preacher was asked, how often do you preach on giving? The preacher replied, every week. The person said, every week? He said, you ask me about giving. Tithe and offering is only a small segment of giving. And I want to tell us, and this is the paradigm shift. Here's the revelation that I believe. Giving is more than money. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, 
Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Great verse. And yes, its principle can and has most often been used in the realm of money. But I want you to understand the context of this verse, and I'm going to take just a moment to give us the context of this verse. In Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 27, Jesus said, but I say to you, here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is it that you? What credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners as, uh, to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured to you again, or measured back to you. And the Bible continues, and Jesus spoke the parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in the ditch? A disciple is not the teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now let's keep going. Just a few more verses. I want to see, show you what's absolutely in between or around that passage. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
The context of this passage is not about money. It's about what your life produces and ultimately gives other people. Here is what Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 638. If you don't need mercy, don't give mercy. If you don't need forgiveness, don't give it. If you want to judge, go ahead and judge. Just know that your judgment will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over in your life. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you again. Parallel passage to this is Acts or Luke chapter 638 is found in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But if you need mercy, give mercy. If you need forgiveness in your life, give forgiveness. If you need grace in your life, give grace. If you need love in your life, Give love. Why? Because it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Calvary, we need a giving church. Yes, we need strong tithe and offering and missions and the promise project and community efforts. But let me tell you where we need to be known in our giving. We need to be known as the church that gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and as many chances as you need. We want to give mercy because it'll be returned back to us. I'll tell you tonight. We need to be a church of 490 chances. Not just a church of second chances. Oh, hallelujah. We need to be a giving church. Because I need God's grace. I need God's mercy. I need God's favor in my life. So how do I get that in my life? I give it. I give mercy. I give forgiveness. I give love. And in return, it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over in my life. Our homes would change if we learned to give this way. Our marriages would change if we learned to give this way. Bishop Anthony Mangan said, marriage is not built on vows and cars and jobs. It's built on giving. And it's not some of you feel like, yeah, I give. My wallet is empty all the time. What if you gave mercy in your marriage? What if you gave some grace in your marriage for a lack of perfection? What if you gave forgiveness? In parenting, what would change? You weren't just shelling out shekels all the time. But it was more than that. It was giving mercy giving grace, our friendships would change. Our workplaces would change. Because I have more to give than I realize. Calvary, we have something to give more than money. I'm thankful we're a top giver in missions. That's vital. Who 
to who God called us to be. But what if we were known for a church that gave chances, that gave mercy, that gave forgiveness? And if they made the front page of the news, we're the church for them. If they fell off the wagon in their recovery, we're the church for them. They wrestle with addiction and confusion and depression and self-hatred. We give. We give mercy. We give forgiveness now. But we can have forgiveness later to give. We give love so we can give more love. We give so we can give. We don't give to get. We give to give. Judge if you want to. Just know it's coming back. Pressed down, shaking together, and running over. But give mercy. Just know it's coming back. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over. I'm going to give what I want and what I need more of. You need mercy in your life, give mercy. God doesn't want us to get a vision of getting from God. But God is trying to give us a revelation of giving. We promote financial giving and we should and we will. Because that's a part of us. But we have more to give than money. And I pray that my mindset in my walk with God is not give to get. But it's give to give more. And why did God create giving? Are we the only resource God has? Is God beyond or behind on his bills? Does he need, is he starting to lay out asphalt in heaven because he ran out of gold. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he created giving, not for his sake, but for our sake. And if I had money and I asked Sarah Barnum for some money tonight, She may give it to me, she may not. She would, she said. But she hasn't reached for a purse at all. She gave me money and I asked for that money and she gave it to me. And I could say, I'm a nice person, I'm a good person. She gave me that and I appreciate that. Very kind to give me that. And I, I would expect if she gave me money, it would be at least a $100 bill. I wouldn't expect her to give me anything less than a $100 bill. But what if I told you that I was the one who gave her the 100 to give back to me? Wouldn't feel sorry for her. She wouldn't feel sorry. She'd give it a lot quicker than she might have otherwise. What we realize is that in that scenario, if she gave me that money back, it had been money that I gave her. 
I'm not hurting her by taking that money. doesn't hurt because she realizes it didn't belong to her anyway. It didn't start with her anyway. What I realize is what I have doesn't belong to me. It didn't start with me. It belongs to God. Sometimes we feel bad for giving after we gave. But the reality is we don't give from our own abundance. You say, yeah, I do. I worked 40 hours this week. Let me tell you, we live, we breathe, and we have our being in God. All you need is one cell in your body to change, to go crazy, and everything in your life changes. One trip up, one wreck, you wouldn't be able to even make a living. You only are able to make a living by the grace of God. And I give because it's His anyway. And I'm reminded of who He is when I give. And giving shouldn't hurt us because we understand where it came from. I conclude tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 15. We read about the law concerning freeing those Israelites who had been sold into slavery. In Deuteronomy 15, 12, it says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold, in other words, you gave money and it cost you something, and you, and they're sold to you and they serve you for six years, then on the seventh year, you shall let them go free from you. And when you send them away free from you, you shall not let them go away empty-handed. Think about that now. I already paid for this. I already paid for this labor. But the law was instituting the heart of God, saying don't send them away empty-handed. Give them something again. And then it says, the passage we read, you shall supply them liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press, your stuff, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to them. We understand he's saying you didn't get it from yourself anyway. So if when you bless other people, you're not blessing from your own goodness, you're blessing from the goodness of God. And he tells them why they should do this, because you will remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord, your God, redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you in your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl, thrust it through the ear, and he shall be your servant forever. Verse 18, it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant and serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. Why can I give mercy why can I give forgiveness? Because I was once trapped in sin. I was once trapped under the guilt of disappointing the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, but he gave me mercy. So for me to withhold mercy is illogical. 
For me to withhold mercy and forgiveness from somebody doesn't make sense. He says, because you were once a slave. Therefore, understand that you should give to them because what God has blessed you with, God has blessed you so you can give. And so in Luke chapter 6, God talks about giving with no expectation. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also likewise do to them. Give because you know where you got what you got wasn't yours to begin with. Mercy was God's. Forgiveness was God's. Love was God's. Resources was God's. The breath that you have was God's. The Bible says the spirit will return to the God who gave it. And so whatever I can give out of my life, whatever I can produce out of my life that impacts this world, I understand it's because of the blessing and favor of God. And so I give to give. So I'm thankful tonight for this amazing church because someone paid a price for what we experience today. There are prayer meetings from years gone by that are impacting us today. Bible studies, prayer meetings, times in prayer, working overtime to give, garage sales to give, baking cookies to give, doing what they can to invest in the kingdom of God. And so I pray that this story of the Calvary Church continues, but I pray that the story is not just a giving of money, but it's a story of giving love. It's a story of giving kindness and giving mercy and giving grace. I don't believe this church is a church that judges people, but I certainly don't want to start. I don't want, I don't want that pressed down, shaken together, and running over in this church. What I want is mercy pressed down. I want forgiveness shaken together. I want God's love running over. So I, tonight as we conclude, we got a couple minutes here for app time. I want you to talk to the person next to you. And I, the question is, who in your life has exemplified what it means to give in this way, to give so you can give more? Is there somebody who you think of? Maybe, maybe they've given financially. Maybe it's they've given love in your life or they've given second, third, fourth chances in your life. I want you to just talk about somebody in your life who maybe exemplifies this. You got a couple minutes.
All right. Well, stand with me tonight if you can. And I hope you were able to just be encouraged by maybe remembering somebody in your life who exemplified that. While this might be an epiphany for some or a revelation for some in the sense of it being articulated this way, I do know this is not a new concept and the church isn't what it is today without people living this out over and over. I think of the Sizemore family tonight. I think about the rich legacy of Bishop and Sister Sizemore and uh, just their, their giving. And it was far beyond money, but it was time. It was uh, just uh, loving people. And uh, we continue. It's amazing to me uh, meeting people who uh, have been a part of Covenant uh, so many years ago that that church uh, gave and continues to give. But uh, I have a pastor friend in Dallas, Texas, who has made it his mission to give away something every day. And I, he, he literally looks to hand somebody something every day. Uh, I've only been on the receiving end of that one time, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but... Um, he does. He always has something, he, whether it's money or something, but he's constantly reminding himself that he has something to give. And you and I, we have something to give. It's not financial. It's love. It's grace. It's mercy. It's kindness. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so I want to pray for us tonight because God so loved the world that he gave Why? So he could give more. He could give eternal life to us. God, we thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for just reminding us again afresh tonight of what you did for us and what you want us to do in return, not so we can just, uh, Lord, get and we become wealthy and somehow just uh, self-fulfilled in our life, but Lord, you give us, you bless us in our life so that we can in turn be a blessing to those around us who need you. God, who are hungry for you and want you. I pray, God, that Calvary would continue to be a courageous church in its financial giving. That, God, if there are individuals in this church who have yet to uh, embrace the opportunity and the, the real blessing of giving financially, I pray that they would be able to experience that. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to allow us to be courageous in giving mercy and giving forgiveness to those around us. Lord, that people who walk in our doors, they would not feel, God, the, the shards of judgment, but Lord, they would feel, God, the strength of mercy and they would feel the, the lifting of grace. Yes, Lord, we will speak the truth in love, but Lord, we understand where we all came from. We understand we all stood at the foot of the cross needing your grace and needing your help. Lord, and so I pray today that you would just help us to have this revelation as we move forward into what you're calling us in this city and in this community and in this region. We give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, 
and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.